0: Listening to the Fret Files, the Guitar Workshop podcast with Eric Daw.
1: Eric Daw, that dude, that guy. He said, "Yep, you hate him."
2: Yes, indeed. Welcome to the show. It's the Fret Files podcast, your fortnightly foray into guitar geekery. My name is Eric Daw, your personal guitar scientist with 25 years of experience restoring, building, and repairing guitars. And this evening's co-host is Nat. Nat. Howdy, Nat. Well, hello. Greetings. I will read the listener's
3: submitted questions, and Eric will try to answer them the best he can. Mm-hmm. Drawing on his experience as a professional luthier. Mm -hmm. And may I ask, what's on your bench lately, You may. may. Yes, you may.
2: Well, what is on your bench? Uh, A lot of pickup rewinds lately. It's funny how things always come in batches. I have a 1949 Fender lap steel pickup to Mm -hmm. rewind. That's a rare bird. Mm -hmm. It's almost identical to a Telecaster. Bridge pickup, except with a different base plate. The different, the bottom, the bottom part of the bobbin is different, and it doesn't have the metal. It doesn't have the st- yeah. copper-plated steel base huh. plate underneath it.
3: That gosh, that's pretty neat. So you're doing a lot of interesting, maybe
2: obscure or mm-hmm. hard, hard to source rewinds. Yeah, just all kinds of different uh, rewinds. What else? A that's fun. A G and L uh, pickup. A couple of uh, Gibson T-top humbuckers that need some help. What's that?
3: A, what is that?
2: Oh, it's a just a just a regular just a seventies era. Oh, okay. Sixties, late sixties and early to mid seventies era Gibson humbucker. Okay, classic rock. Uh, what else? Um, an like a LSL. Neck pickup, uh, uh, a whole bunch of things. Just random pickups. People send them to me. You know what's funny? You know what some people do? This is... Now, if you did this... I do know what some people do. If you did this here at home and you're listening, (laughs) I don't remember you. So don't (laughs) feel embarrassed, okay? But people will send me something, like they'll send me a pickup without... Any note I know inside without any anything
3: inside. I know this rattling around like a baby in a basket in nineteen thirty.
2: Yeah, but you know without like so I'll open it up and I'm like oh a pickup <laughs> who's it from? <laughs> I don't know, and you know the return address will say something like Bob's Post Posting <laughs> yeah. Center,
3: yeah. UPS Center, the non- shipping U-
2: place yeah. uh-huh. in Duluth. You know, I'm going, okay, well, who do I know in Duluth? No one. And so I'll just set it on my bench for a while, and because I know eventually they'll contact me. Like, hey, did you ever get that pickup I sent you? Like, yeah. How's it going on the pickup? Yeah. Yeah. Like, you're the only one in the world who's ever sent me a pickup. I'm going to know it was you. If you send me something, knock me out with information. Essay contest. I want your maiden name. I want... Social Security <laughs> numbers. I want everything you got. I want your birthday. No, legitimately, I need your name, a phone number, an email, and a return shipping address, and what it is that you want done. Yeah, maybe some hopes and dreams. Yeah, yeah. But it's so funny to me that people will just send me random things. I've, mostly, that happens with pickups and random parts because they're small enough. Maybe. I'm like, yeah. Is this a gift? Is this a like? I don't know. It's a bolt from the blue. But occasionally someone will do that with a guitar. Like, I'll just get a guitar in the mail. Like, okay, well, somebody mm. sent me a guitar. I didn't buy it. I'm pretty sure. Like, I don't take Ambien. I'm not up at night, like, <laughs> like sleep sleep shopping on eBay, yeah. you know? Gosh.
3: Now those poor people,
2: maybe, right?
3: Anyhow. Sleep shipping.
2: What was I talking about? That Oh, was,
3: what's that was on your bench? You, really? You did weird pickups and Divergent. Yeah, it just tangent. That's okay.
2: Uh, I'm also, yeah, I'm doing a few different repairs. A lot of cracked acoustic guitars this spring. You know, I'm thinking my furnace died,
3: and out of spite, I'm not fixing it for a while. I'm not fixing it in a huff because it's the same $700 control board that has a bad design that leaks water on it and shorts it out. And...
2: Are you just going to heat your house with Coleman lanterns or something? Just,
3: just with sheer meanness,
2: some camping and lanterns. Okay. <laughs> no, I've got those. Just turn little, the oven on real high. Yeah,
3: I've got those electric cadet heaters that were clearly installed in the seventies during the OPEC oil crisis. Mm. And here in town, we've got really cheap power. hmm. Here in the city, and that's and so some people have electric heat here. Yeah, I do. Yep, because. Why would they have put it in? I don't know. But anyway, so I run three of those, and I've got a big old down blanket, and I just don't care. But I don't remember where I was going with this. Something about cracked acoustic guitars. I appreciate that. You rein me in. So I'm thinking, maybe I'll get one of them humidifiers Yeah, on my forced air gas
2: furnace. Wouldn't that be neat? It would be. And I have heard, now I'm no... Uh, HVAC fellow I'm no climatologist <laughs> oh. but I have heard that it's easier to heat humid air Yeah so it actually like saves money by by humidifying the air it stays hotter yeah. longer or something
3: Well the air is such a good insulator like electric and uh, for temperature and so
2: it but can convey that It'd be good heat. for your it'd be good for your house it'd be good for your guitars it'd be good for your lungs Yeah I think it's it's a net gain all the way around.
3: Good for my hair, I hope. But Probably. also, um, I've got that big old K-bass fiddle, and I like to have guitars sitting outside. As crazy as that is, yeah. then so you play I. it. Yeah.
2: You pick it up. Yeah, I don't keep mine in the case with a humidifier. Yeah. I tell you to, but I don't. I, well, and I, I
3: do have three or four of them, but I've had a kitchen guitar for the past few months,
2: and I really like it. Yeah, it's nice to just have one sitting there. Otherwise, I won't. Yeah, you can just pick it up and strum Mm. in between your bites of huevos ranchero. Mm Mm-hmm. That's what I do. So, anyway, I might get one of them
3: humidifier deals. We'll see.
2: Well, if you do, let me know how much they charge you, because uh, I tell you what, that would be really slick to have here. Wouldn't it be nice? In my house, yeah.
3: But see, I don't pay retail, and I'm going to... No, try never a deal no, yeah. no, no, no
2: It's not done You could just drape moist towels around the house I've done it, yeah yeah, Quite okay. a bit <laughs> well, <laughs> this, Oh, oh dear oh, wait. I'm sorry, I hit the wrong button <laughs> No, we're not I doing, was preempted I got not, the hook We're not doing <laughs> Guitar News We're doing this The Guitar oh.
3: History Corner
2: We're going to do the world's shortest Guitar History Corner Okay we will try not to interrupt We were talking about staple pickups Was it last episode? Yeah, and I went
3: crazy and thought they were a certain designation. Yes, staple pickups, like a staple P90.
2: They're not pickups you buy at staples. That's too bad. But, uh, yeah, they're basically a P90 with different magnets. Nor are they made with staples, apparently, which is kind of a misnomer. But I got this information from uh, premierguitar.com. I found a little bit of information. It's got to be true. And it's actually a, mostly a review about Lawler's reissue staple pickups, but they sprinkled in a little bit of history, so I just took the parts I wanted. (laughs) And we're not going to talk about the reissue review. Yeah. We just want, we just want. The history. The history. Yeah, we'll just pan for it. Just sit. This isn't the guitar pickup review corner. No. It's the guitar history corner. Gibson's Alnico V pickup. That's the official name. Gibson's Elnico 5, you know, Roman numeral numeral 5 pickup, usually called the staple pickup, is one of the great forgotten guitar gizmos. Not by us, buddy. Mm -hmm. Introduced in 1954 as a more articulate version of the P90 pickup deployed in most post-World War II Gibson electrics. It's a heck of a description. I like it. I do, too. The staple pickup occupied the neck position in the first Les Paul Customs. Hmm. It also appeared in some of Gibson's upscale arch tops. but it was abandoned overnight when Seth Lover's humbucking PAF pickup yeah. debuted just two years later, changing everything. Like the horse and buggy. Mm-hmm. The humbucker has been the default Gibson pickup ever since, though there have always been fans of the rough, raw P90 sound. So well, P- P90s continued, but the staple pickup did not. Well, and no
3: one... They probably wouldn't give it the appellation uh, articulate, right? No one's calling the old bumhucker articulate. So when did we decide we didn't want articulate pickups?
2: Uh, I guess because... You thought this was going to be the shortest guitar history corner. Yeah, I guess because the <laughs> perceived improvement in getting rid of hum. Oh, boy. Right? Yeah, and playing like stranglehold and stuff or whatever. So, where were we? In staple pickups, unlike regular P90s, where steel pole pieces make contact with an internal coil and magnet, the staples pole pieces are themselves elongated rectangular magnets that extend through the coil. Mm-hmm. Gibson probably created the design to compete with the brighter tones of the dearmond pickups in rival Gretsch guitars, Not to mention those upstart, newfangled uh, Fender canoe pedals. I've heard of them. Mm -hmm. Sure enough, the design yields better string-to-string differentiation and improved high-end detail. Man. That's that's Premier Guitar's opinion. We need to get a couple of these. Yeah. So I can see how it would be a good complement to a standard P90 bridge pickup. Yep, in the neck position. As a neck pickup, you, you... you need a little bit more articulate mm-hmm. and and brighter, pickup. Yep, I think. Ah, uh, you're. I think you're right. Staple pickups are sometimes described as twangier P90s.
3: Okay. Mm-hmm.
2: That's yeah. That's what this says. Uh, that's probably not quite the right description. They're not unduly bright. It certainly sounds nothing like a vintage Fender pickup. Mm. Extended range P90 is probably a better description. Well. Mm-hmm. There's Sounds a, good. Yeah, there's a greater sense of air on top, and the individual notes and chords speak more clearly. Now we're sniffing corks. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, I never listen to a record and say, you know, the individual notes in these chords really speak clearly.
3: Yeah, that standard is good to invoke with about every pickup question, you know.
2: When toggling between uh, P90 and staple pickups for test recordings... The latter have more snap and presence, and the P90s can feel dull in comparison. Hmm. Yet, the staple pickup, the sound blends well with a typical P90 bridge pickup. You just get a little bit more air and clarity in the combined position. Hmm. This is interesting. All right. Like all single coils, they're a bit noisier than humbuckers. Yes, of course. That's all they had. You know, but it's good to know they were developed in 54 and basically dropped when... The humbucker yeah, was developed. Super duper humbucker. And yeah. That's that's the information I was looking for. Yeah, yeah. So there you go. That's. Why they didn't just take off? Yeah. yeah, you know, and I was thinking about that. Like, why did they can? Why do they continue the P ninety and discontinue the Elnico V, the Elnico five staple pickup? Mm-hmm. Probably because just looking at it as a as a commodity. It looks way harder to manufacture, like those rectangular Alnico Actu- magnets. Were, actual magnets. They were probably expensive. Yeah. It has a weird little height adjustment thing, so there's a screw next to each Like a magnet De-Arma thing. Where it raises and lowers each individual magnet. Yep. Yeah, got to go. And the P90, it just has, instead of six magnets, it just has... Steel things, right? Yeah, it has steel pole pieces that yep. go up and down and move... Next to a, a a couple bar magnets on the bottom.
3: Rather rudimentary.
2: So probably way cheaper and easier to make. And so yep. that's probably why they dropped one and not the other.
3: Yep, and they probably didn't need two super-duper fancy pickups. Yeah. Yeah, makes sense.
2: It does. I think we cracked the code. Well, we figured it out.
3: We better get a couple and yeah, put yeah. them on a switching yeah. rig to switch back and forth or whatever those people did. <laughs> Try it out.
2: Uh, you Go got any? You got anything? You got any news? What do you got?
3: Well, people write questions to you, and I read them. Yeah. That's about all, all right, I can well, offer. Shall I? Oh, phone's ringing.
1: Hey, Eric, this is Mike in Chicago calling. Hope you're doing well. Um, heard that question on the last episode about the uh, height of the little height adjustment saddles. Excuse me, on the the height of the little screws. Uh, in the saddles, and how if the neck angle is such that the saddles have to be kind of low, that those little tiny screws will kind of protrude up vertically past the top of the saddle. Oh, yeah. um, I remember years ago, I, I think, unless I'm imagining this, reading an article that I think was written by Dan Erlewein, uh about how when you play a guitar, I think it was a Strat in the, in the, um, in the article that he was describing, that has those little screws poking up, it can be uncomfortable to play because if you're palm muting or resting your hand back there, those screws kind of catch on your, your palm and tear mm-hmm. up the skin a little bit. Yeah. Um, I don't personally necessarily have had that experience, but I certainly have played guitars where I noticed that there's a little bit of sharpness and a little bit of discomfort down there. And in the article, I think I remember him sort of like somehow scribing the radius of the strings like along the tops of the screws poking out or something, and then I think maybe he ground them down so that each of those height adjustment screws was sort of custom adjusted to be the correct height such that when the saddle was where it needed to be, it wouldn't protrude above the top at all. So I don't know if I'm explaining that clearly enough. but That's good. Is this something you've ever heard of doing or have you done this? Um, I, I just have this memory of reading that article and feel like I've never heard anybody else talk about it, so... Um, just curious to see what your, uh, your thoughts are on that. So thanks, Eric. Love the podcast. Yeah.
2: It's not an uncommon request. I've done it. I don't know, a few dozen times over the last 20 years for customers. Uh, I don't do that on my own personal guitars. I don't mind if the screws are protruding just a little bit extra on my own personal guitars, but yeah, certainly they can be ground down. Um, but you better make sure you grind them down from the bottom and not the top because the top is, is going to have the Allen key Adjusted, a- adjusting yeah. Yeah. hole, right? Or in the case of a, in some Telecaster and other saddles, a flat head eh. and the bottom doesn't have any adjustment. So you have to grind them down from the bottom. So score, you know, scribing where it needs to be ground off of the top half. Doesn't make any sense to me,
3: unless you transfer that measurement. I guess. Yeah, but what I would do?
2: I would just write down. I would just write down, or you know, measure <clears throat> each uh, each screw, and and then take that much off each screw.
3: Or wing it.
2: Well, you, yeah. Okay, you don't, we don't wing it. Oh, I see <laughs> what well, we're right. dealing with stuff Strike like that. Strike that from the record. Um, or you could count the threads. Whoa! How many threads do I need to take off this screw? But now you're getting nutty. Yeah, yeah. Well, but good so, one. Yeah, certainly, it's something that that uh, I've done for many a customer. Sure. Yeah. Thanks. Thank good. you. Thank you for the call.
1: Hi, Eric, and guest host, Hi, this is Joe in Denver. I have a question for you. Do you have any tips for getting glue? working glue into a really, really tight crack. I have uh, purchased a couple of guitars that have uh, uh, humidity cracks. Mm. I've rehumidified them, and uh, I'm thrilled to say that the cracks have tightened up, um, almost like you can't even see them, which is great, except that they're so tight that uh, I'm not exactly sure how I'm going to get glue into them. Mm. So if you have any tips for getting glue into really, really tight, uh, crack or appreciate any tips
2: thank you huh yeah you bet it's very common for uh, guys to water down the glue a little bit to make it easier to work into a really tight spot so it flows huh? so yeah so either tight bond glue or hot hide glue can be watered down a bit, because they're both water-based.
3: Huh, I didn't know that. They
2: can be watered down a bit, and then it makes it easier to work into a crack. And the way I work glue into a super-tight crack is, I just paint glue along the crack, and then with my finger, rub it back and forth against the crack, and just the pneumatic pressure of your skin So working. along the crack. Well, not, not side cross. to side. Oh, oh cross. Cro- across. Across. Yeah across the crack mm-hmm. the pneumatic pressure of your skin um, grazing the crack will force a little bit of glue in there and you can actually look on the inside of the guitar and watch it as it comes through the other side if you've Whoa. got a, a mirror or a uh, a boroscope which I have sometimes mm-hmm. so, so you can watch a live feed of what's going on inside oh. which is kind of fun <laughs> Um, but if if it's tight, if it's if the crack is so tight that that doesn't even work, you can use a jack, uh, a a brace jack. So there's an internal clamp. You know how a clamp <clears throat> has two things coming together. Oh no. To clamp something. Yeah. Well, an internal clamp for a guitar. Oh no. Is like a. It's like a jack. Like yeah, like a jack that you jack your car up, right? You know, no, this is it extends, so you put it inside, and you could put it just under that crack and just put enough pressure on it just to open that up. You gotta be careful because yes. you don't wanna make the crack worse. And depending on where the crack is, this might not be a good idea. And you gotta be real gentle with it, but that can be done. So or if you have skinny arms like I do, you can just stick your arm inside the guitar and Put a little pressure on the inside yep. where the crack is, and that will that will tend to open it up just enough so that you can work the glue across by rubbing, the, you know, taking your other hand, working the glue uh, across some yeah. thinned, water-thinned glue. Where you it? can actually see some of that surface. Yeah. Don't thin it down too much with too much water, because the more water you add, it um, hinders the glue's ability to hold. Yeah. Right? It hmm. weaken weakens the bond. But a little bit of water will be just fine. So there you go. Well that's a good one. Yeah, good question. Thank you so much. Got one more here. Oh good.
0: Hi Eric. Hi Nat. It's Ben here in the UK. Oh Again. good old Ben. Um, got a question about Tysco switching now. I've got a couple of Tisco's. Each of them have got two pickups and each pickup has an on off switch. I was just wondering if you had in the past um modified any guitars like this, so that instead of having the kind of the two on-offs, you could change one for a three-way toggle, and maybe switch the other one for a phase switch or something like that. I didn't know if you had anything coming out in your new schematic book when that comes out. Oh, um, it's not the end of the world. I just keep managing to switch my guitar off when I lean forwards because the little slider switches are very easy to knock. Um, but I don't want to have to cut holes in the guitar or the scratch plate or anything. So, yeah, that's the question. Is there a way to wire a two-pickup guitar with an on-off switch for each pickup so that you can't accidentally switch it off and you might possibly have a couple of other switching configurations? I hope that's not too rambling and confusing, but um, any input you have will be greatly received. Thanks for the podcast. Cheers.
3: Yeah, Mm -hmm. That's, that's a good one. Thank you, sir.
0: So
2: it's those slider switches, I assume. Well, I don't know. A lot of the old Tyskos have these crazy switches that you would only see on a Tysko. Mm. Like, they made them themselves or something. Like, some yeah. in house made, you know, wackadoodle switch that barely worked when it was new. And it's big and clunky, and it's impossible not to switch while mm. you're playing the guitar, right? Like, the. Like a big white rocker switch, and you know, oh, it'll those. say mic one and mic two, or you know, yes, okay, you know what I mean. So yeah, I don't know if he's talking about those or if he's talking about
3: a little. This is like a Baldwin organ or something. Yeah, it all stuck together. Oh, the,
2: if if he's talking about the little switch you see on Jaguars and Jazzmasters, or
3: like, or like Hofner or something like that.
2: Yeah, those are different. But if that's the case, I, I'm. I'm surprised that he's having a hard time with the switch,
3: yeah, so it must be those are pretty those.
2: those are pretty low profile,
3: yeah, so he needs a three way switch, probably,
2: yeah, that's the other issue if you've got it so if it's just a two way switch, there's no way to get three positions out of a two way switch yeah. you have to replace the switch, and if it's a some goofy Tysco switch that nothing else is. Is compatible with, then mm-hmm. I don't know what you're going to switch it out for.
3: Yeah. Whereas with like a Fender type switch, you could buy a a three way, two way, seventy five way. Someone will make it. You'd yeah. Plop it in.
2: Yeah. The yeah. So you need a three position mm-hmm. to get all three positions. You know, both pickups, one, the you know neck, both and bridge. Yep. And then your other switch, yeah, you could do phase switching, but I don't see how you're going to do it without changing out the switches entirely, and depending on what kind of switches they are, that might not be a very nope. elegant solution. They've got to be tysco But it can be done. It can be done. It just depends on how much you want to hack things up. Yeah, alter it. Yeah. Because yeah. it might need to be altered. Yeah. Thank you for the question. Shall we uh, take a little break here? Let's do. We'll take a break. We'll be right back with more. This episode of the Fret Files podcast is brought to you by Apex Coffee Roasters. Imagine always having fresh roasted coffee in your home. Now, imagine you didn't even have to leave the house for it. A subscription with Apex Coffee Roasters makes all of this possible. You choose the plan that best suits your needs, and they handle the rest. Their roaster will select a coffee option just for you and send it your way. Discounts are applied if you get a six-month or a year-long subscription. And shipping included, if you're in the... USA Great Coffee every morning. Just cut a little bit easier. That's apexcoffeeroasters.com. And if you go there and use my promo code, you get an additional ten percent off. That's PINUP, P-I-N-U-P. That's at apexcoffeeroasters.com. We've talked a lot about neck straightening irons on the show, and people write to me and they say, Eric, where can I get one? Well, until now, I didn't have anywhere to send people because nobody makes them anymore except for my buddy Rick at PlayersGearMusic.com You can go to PlayersGearMusic You can order a neck straightening iron. Some people call it a neck press or a neck heater. It is an in. Valuable tool in my shop. I use it all the time. I'd be lost without one of these. I I love having a neck straightening iron. And Rick is making a really, really stout industrial. It, I I think it, I think it's the best one that I've used. And I've I've used a lot. I've used uh, the commercially available ones that they used to sell in the 70s and 80s, but they don't sell them anymore. Well, now you can get one from playersgearmusic.com they are 7.49. dollars I know that seems like a lot It's, it's a tool, I tell you what It's going to pay for itself a hundred times over If you go to playersgearmusic.com scroll down on the main page scroll, scroll, scroll down to where it says Fan of the Fret Files Podcast You click that That adds one to your cart and it's 50 bucks off so instead of 749 it's 699 699 free shipping and it's yours and next straightening iron playersgearmusic.com has them and you need one i'm telling you so go to playersgearmusic.com and check it out and don't forget to tell rick that the fret files podcast sent you
1: Stacks and stacks of letters. Hi, Eric.
3: Just as a little fo- footnote to your discussion of Albert King, I thought it should be mentioned that he used a somewhat unconventional tuning.
2: Oh, yeah.
3: I did not know that. I forgot about that. Some say it was E minor. This is the start of a good legend.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Some call it F minor. I myself thought D minor was more accurate. Whatever you call it, it was not standard, and I think it contributed a lot to his sound. Huh. That's from Cartwright.
2: I'll be darned. Yeah, it's too bad that little kid that saw his ghost didn't ask. Like, oh, Mr. King, while you're here. Yeah. Some say, pardon me, the ghost of Mr. King, may I ask you a question about your tuning? <laughs> uh, there's got to be some definitive source on this that would know.
3: Well, like an LP record?
2: Well, I don't know. Oh, okay. I mean, the man is a well-known, famous guitar player. You'd think someone would know how he tuned it. hmm I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. But yeah, I've heard that, too. I don't know what the tuning was. Well, I, I'd
3: guess that if we could listen to what, if he was playing some low, open note, it might give us some indication. Man. Who knows?
2: You could probably watch every Albert King video that you could find and never see him play an open note. Yeah. Wasn't that kind of guitar player? No. But you know what you could do is look at his hands and see what fret he's playing. If you really wanted to to be a guitar tuning sleuth, and who don't? See what fret he's playing and see what see what tuning what, he's using. What note it is. Yeah. I'm not going to do that, but you could. You could reconstruct it. Yeah. Anyway. Cool. Thank well, thank you, Cartwright. That's a good one. Appreciate it. Hello, Eric. I
3: have an Epiphone EJ160E acoustic. It's basically the Epiphone version of a Gibson John Lennon style J160E. Sure. With a P90 pickup under the fingerboard extension. Mm-hmm. And has a volume and tone knobs. Mm-hmm. We've seen one of those. Sure. I want to add a modern acoustic pickup to it to get a better sound. Would you recommend a K and K pickup or something else? I would like to replace the tone pot with a blend pot so that I can balance between the P90 and the acoustic pickup. What's the best way to do this? Any suggestions before I dive in? Thanks. Love the podcast. Dean. hmm
2: Thank you, Dean. Uh, this is almost exactly what I've done on my own, uh, personal acoustic. Oh, yeah? Yeah, my uh, beloved K flat top. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have a, the P90 hidden under the fingerboard extension like the Gibson J160E. Okay. But it does have a Diarman sound hole pickup that's, you know, yeah. kind of similar to that. It's, it's just a big magnetic pickup. Mm hmm. And, um, this is what I do. I've got that and the K&K pickup, and then you can use either one or the other or both. Huh. And I've done this for a few customers with their J160s. Uh, but I would not use a balance or blend pot. What I would do is keep the volume pot, the existing volume pot, connected to the Existing P90. Okay. Replace the tone pot and just make it a volume pot for the K&K. There you go. So you've got two volume controls, one for each pickup. And that way, because you don't want a tone control on on an acoustic guitar. Heavens no. Right? Mm -hmm. It's completely unnecessary. So that way um, you can uh, adjust each pickup's volume independently and or, and, or turn one of them completely off if you want. What I've found is that because their impedances are so different, uh, if you have them both on up all the way, they kind of fight with each other and it tends to sound like a, like it's out of phase, like there's frequencies well, are getting canceled out. Well, they certainly are. They're in different spots on that. So, string. um, so what I generally do is I'll turn one or the other pickup down just a hair, and it kind of decouples them just enough to bring the full sound back in. Hmm. That's what i found. You You kind of have to accentuate one or the other. But with two independent volume controls, it's easy to do, and you can really dial in a good sound using that. Well, good. Um, the other thing, though, to keep in mind is that if you don't wire up the volume pots correctly, you'll end up with two master volumes. Oh. So, uh, you know, if 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 you want two independent volume controls, what you have to do is uh, wire the pots kind of backwards from how you would normally wire pots. So normally, so a pot has three lugs. Okay, yeah. There's the grounded lug, and then two others. The middle lug is usually uh the the wiper, the yeah adjustable and it's, part and it's usually out to the jack. the middle lug is usually out to the jack, yep, the far lug is usually in from the pickup, so what happens when you turn it all the way down is it shorts out the jack to ground, okay, yeah. So if you've got two volume pots that short out the jack to ground, then you've got two master volumes. What you have to do is swap those two lugs so the pickup goes into the middle lug and the outer lug goes to the jack. That way, when you roll the volume all the way down, you're shorting out the pickup to ground and the jack does not get shorted out. So that way, you can turn down one volume control all the way the other volume control will still work if it's all the way up. Yeah. Does that make sense?
3: It actually does. Did you I ex- explain yeah, that you sufficiently? Explained
2: that very well. So you have to make sure there. When if you're going to use two volume controls like this, you have to make sure that that they're wired properly. This is why a Les Paul, if you have the pickup in the middle, if you have the switch selector in the middle position, both volume controls are. Basically, master volumes. Oh, yeah, if you turn one all the way off? Then it kills the whole sound. Unless you've got an Epiphone, because generally they wire Epiphones where, and I don't know why, but they wire Epiphones backwards so that um, they're not master volumes when the switch is in the middle position. Huh? Don't know why they do it that way, but yeah. Something to consider. Well, that was quite educational. Oh, good. Thanks, Dean. That's a good one. Greetings, Eric. I have
3: been out in the shop actually building guitars over the last few weeks. After solely servicing instruments for the last six to nine months, it is a breath of fresh air, and I had forgotten how much I actually I love actually building. I'm just working on a kit, but it is still so rewarding. I had a question for you about finishing, specifically relicking. Okay. He's up for it. Sounds like that's good. We've all seen quote-unquote relic g- guitars. That's how you write that. That's neat. That just look like someone took a belt sander to them, and they look awful. hmm Yeah. I am thinking about adding some relicking to the body of this guitar, and I've included a photo in the email but I am not really sure how to proceed. This body's been stained and then dyed and then finished with Rubio Monocoat, which sounds like a really good alias to me. Rubio (laughs) (laughs) Monocoat. What's your name? Rubio Monocoat. Professional poker player. Yeah, which is a furniture finish, not just an alias. Rubio Monocoat. I'm not looking for checking as much as a simulated wear. Huh. Any tips on making it look natural? Mm. Thanks, Adam in Sonora.
2: Mm-hmm-hmm. Thanks, Adam. Um, you've got an unusual... He sent me a picture of it as well. Stained and dyed, huh? It's stained, yeah, dyed, and then finished with some kind of crazy furniture finish. I don't know how to... So, so when I age, or relic guitars, uh, I'm working with lacquer, and I'm working with traditional colors. You've got a a unique situation here where it's a finish I'm not familiar with and it's a stained look. So making that look like a natural making that yeah Simulate, making yeah making that look worn naturally uh might be I don't know. I don't know. What I do is keep it to a bare minimum and I let um finish checking really be most of the look on my guitars that I make and Relic. It's awfully pretty, that finish checking. A tiny little bit of arm wear, where your arm contacts the, Uh where your forearm contacts the guitar body. That's a good spot to wear it. And the very top edge of the back, where, you know, where your rib cage would contact the Mm -hmm. body of the guitar. Those are good places to put a little bit more wear, but yeah, if you're going to sand, what you have to do is uh, just like, you know, just like your um, final sanding any finish, you'll work your way up to a very high grit, right, so that you don't end up with sanding marks because sanding marks don't look like wear, you know? Right. A naturally worn Finish is either worn by your clothing or your skin contacting it, so that
3: you're you're not four billion grit. Yeah,
2: right. Yeah, Yeah, you're not looking for sanding marks, so you want to work your way all the way up to like at least a thousand grit sandpaper, fifteen hundred grit. That would be good, and then polish it. And uh, that's how I do it. So, like, if I rub through the clear coat and the color coat down to a primer. You know, that's how I'm doing it is building up grades of sandpaper to, uh, all the way to like 1500 grit and then polishing it out.
3: Yeah, polish it probably yeah. helps to really seal the deal on making it look natural. But
2: And one thing I'll do is I'll take my keys oh, no. and try to make kind of random dings on kind of like what, you know, the edges of the guitar what you would consider like the four corners of the body right where it would probably come into contact with things over time
3: it really does it's interesting having seen a couple real ones how they do have those little random dings and and that beautiful finish checking and
2: you know they do end up having pretty standard patterns of wear over time yeah yep alrighty thank you Adam that is good
3: Let's try this one. Hi, Eric. It's been a couple of years of me enjoying a set of T-style pickups you made for me with a separate ground wire for the neck pickup cover as needed for the series winding of the two pickups selected with a four-position switch.
2: What? The series winding? Did he say winding or wiring? Series. Wiring. Sorry. Oh, that's okay. He's got
3: series wiring, so he needed to ground the neck pickup cover. Mm Mm-hmm. And he's going to use a four-position switch. Mm -hmm. And T-style pickups. I found I didn't like both pickups in series very much tonally, although it is nice to have the boost and volume quickly available by a guitar switch. Mm -hmm. I recently learned that putting a capacitor between the pickups when in series puts them half out of phase. Or is it a quarter? Is this correct? It probably depends. (laughs) How does this happen electrically? Oh, man. Yeah. I'll tell you. It's all magic. I like this mod as it knocks down the output a bit from full series humbucking and brings a different vocal mid-range quality out. Thanks a lot for all the help over the years. Mm-hmm. That's uh, incognito, unsigned.
2: Yeah. That's a tough question. Um, My understanding of it is, that, well, there's two ways to do this. On a lot of the guitar wiring uh like the things that are gonna be in my forthcoming schematic book here, if yeah. we ever get it done. Yeah, you keep saying that. Uh the out of phase positions, there's a lot of them where there is a capacitor that one pickup runs through but the other doesn't. Mm-hmm. And what that does is it decouples the pickups just slightly uh so that they're not 100% out of phase because it it only lets certain frequencies through from one of the pickups so That's that right. uh so that uh, only those frequencies get canceled. That's right. So it brings them back into phase. Now, if you've if you're running your pickups in phase and you put a capacitor in between them, I don't think that it puts them out of phase. So, I'm not sure. I think it... Well, a capacitor
3: induces a phase change, which is a, a time delay. Phase is like the phase really? of the moon. Okay? So, there's... um you uh, Picture a waveform. Mm-hmm. and Now you've got two of them, superimposed. Let's say it's the same mm-hmm. constant sine wave. Slide one back in time. That's a phase change.
2: It is and a f- we, true phase shift. Yeah.
3: And that's what we hear as... And so there'd be frequency addition and subtraction off of that.
2: So by putting a capacitor on only one pickup, yep. it does put it half out of phase?
3: It w- No, it, it wouldn't be exact 180 degrees out of phase because there's a time constant involved in capacitors that's frequency dependent, I believe. For so the same reason that the, the tone control works. Hmm. Frequency dependent.
2: See, this is why Nat makes big money for working for. Well, the government. I dropped out of college when they started telling me this stuff. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> but uh, he actually knows a lot about this kind of stuff more than I do about I, about electrical circuits. Well,
3: I know enough to that I've forgotten some things, but there is so phase is a a time relationship. Hmm. We can think of it like that. Sure, and and it's measured in. Degrees, polar coordinates kind of thing, or degrees of a cycle.
2: It can be a time relationship, but it can also be... So, like, if you have two pickups where um, one is uh, electrically out of phase with the other, uh-huh. it's a frequency difference. Yep. So the waves are... Well, frequency is per second. 100. It refers yeah, to time. You're, well, you're right.
3: I ain't even lying. You're right. Because as you map it out,
2: it absolutely...
3: Yeah, and it's frequency-dependent, like alternating current, or uh, it has a reactive component, so it matters. You know, like the difference between resistance and impedance has a reactive mm-hmm. to um, alternating current component? Hmm. You know, no. like impedance and No, but go ahead. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, impedance is measured. It's not just, if you measure an 8-ohm impedance speaker, it's yeah. not 8-ohms resistance, because it's 8-ohms, of essentially Im- impedance which is pure resistance plus reactance to the ac frequency. Huh. I ain't even lying. So, yeah, something that is directly out of phase is 180 degrees out of phase. It's it has opposite polarity, you know, one yeah. the wave there's a compression on one when there's a rarefaction on the other and they combine so adversly.
2: There's, there's a time component.
3: Yep yep and I wish I could tell you more because to say that and not be precise is kind of not helpful but that but think of it as just if you had two waveforms that were identical, you dragged one forward or backward in time that delay is a phase change it's a phase shift yeah and so if you modulate the phaser like your whale and uh huh it that you're changing that time constant back and forth it's not a fixed if yeah. it's going wheel wheel wheel
2: so in a capacitor. In
3: by its action, it induces a phase change, and I think so. It might be thirty uh, degrees or something. It might, and it varies by frequency. Yeah, which is how we send some frequencies essentially to ground. Yeah, right. So I know five percent of how to answer this precisely. Man, right.
2: you did a better job than I did.
3: Well, we chewed that some time was, at that least. Was,
2: that was incredible. <laughs> well. Thanks for the. Uh,
3: well, now you know less than when we started there. Probably incognito person. It, the the short answer is go to college, <laughs> <laughs> stay in school. Ah, uh, shoot. Yeah, so he didn't, and I yeah, didn't like that. Is that sufficient?
2: Oh, I think it's more than sufficient.
3: Um, what else well, can we do? Well, we also needed to quit, but uh, yeah. it's also he says it brings a different vocal mid range quality, so th- he likes it. How yeah. does this happen electrically? It runs on magic smoke. If the magic smoke comes out, <laughs> yeah. which happens. Yeah.
2: Don't let the magic smoke out of your amp. Yeah. Thank you, that's, though. That's, okay. that's, the, uh, that's the truism. of That's the first thing you learn in amp tech school, is don't let the magic smoke out of your amp.
3: Yeah. And, god
2: dang, it wants to come out of there. I've been, I've been listening to a bunch of shipwreck. Uh, podcasts. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Did I tell you about this? Yeah, what was
3: the title of it? It had an interesting title. Oh,
2: Beyond the Breakers. Yeah. There's that, and then there's another one on YouTube I've been checking out, and I can't remember what it's called. I think it's called Maritime Disasters, which is beautiful. Pretty good name. But much like the uh, the axiom, don't let the magic smoke get out of your amp, uh-oh. There is an, there's an axiom. There's a corollary for <laughs> in maritime uh uh, disasters. Yeah. Do you know? Do you know what the universal axiom for shipwrecks is?
3: And they're letting the flotation out or something.
2: Don't let the ocean get in the boat. Oh yeah, you got to keep that ocean out. That's the number one mistake people make. <laughs> yes, <May laughs> in shipwrecks, day. it's kind of, It like it's like uh, you you could apply it to every shipwreck. Like they let the ocean get in the boat.
3: That's a fundamental problem.
2: It is. Yeah,
3: that's a heck of a thing.
2: All right, let me try one more.
3: Hi, Eric. I've been struggling getting the right color and look when spraying lacquer on solid maple necks to get that classic Fender look. Got any tips or secrets to share about how to get the look of a fifty-year-old maple neck? Man, that's a thing of beauty. Mm. Fifty-year-old maple neck.
2: Yeah, who's that from?
3: Well, they're not saying tonight.
2: Yeah, I'll sure I'll give you some. I'll, I'll divulge some tips and and tricks and secrets here. Then we can hang this up and go on with our miserable lives. Um, I have experimented with all different kinds of uh, methods to get that look. And I've basically concluded that uh, it it's best if you dye the raw wood before Ooh. you even start spraying lacquer. Not just pure tinted lacquer. Yeah. yeah, pure tinted lacquer just sits on top of the wood and makes it look like a squire. It makes it look like an orange, a pumpkin orange. Huh. It, like the look isn't right. It's not deep. It looks like it's sitting on top of the wood. And you need that aged color you, inside the you, wood. It needs. You need depth, and the way to get that is to stain the wood. So, what I do is I have a special sauce that I use to get that color. And I won't tell you all well, what goes in there.
3: Yeah, I'm pretty sure we're going to have all but, the secrets um, there for a second.
2: But it does have something to do with uh, one of our sponsors. <laughs> That's a special <laughs> liquid that you could uh, also drink. And then I put a couple drops of dye.
3: Some just aniline dye or something like that. And yeah, dye
2: that I get from Stumac. So they have oh. an amber and then they have a, a tobacco brown. Man, so, that
3: sounds rich and warm.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I use a little bit of amber, a little bit of tobacco brown, and a little bit just a just a drop or two of green. Oh,
3: mm-hmm. man, you're gonna see so many perfectly
2: tinted. I hope so, because I'm sick of the pumpkin yeah, orange you're, one. You're about done with it. <laughs> uh, so, raw wood—you've got it shaped, sanded—it's ready to spray, right? Don't spray it. Take your dye, and we don't want it, we don't want it, we don't want this to be dark. This is a very mild process. Oh, yeah. It's better to get, uh to do this like three times to get the achieved color, rather than once, right? Mm-hmm. So, just a subtle dye here. But what you have to do first is, you want to wet anywhere on the guitar neck where there's end grain. Okay. So the very tip of the headstock, that little section where it rolls, uh, they sometimes call it the tattio taper, behind the low E tuner where the headstock Uh rolls forward, that's end grain. There's some sections of end grain right where the butt or the flat part of the neck where it mounts to the body Rolls away and um,
3: yeah, you know, curves into the curves into actual the, into the square. curvature of the yeah. neck,
2: right? The tip of the very tip of the headstock, the very butt end of the headstock, where or the very butt end of the guitar where mm-hmm. the like on a vintage one where the truss rod adjustment is. So anywhere where there's end grain, you want to wet that with plain water, so that when you go and apply this stain. If you didn't do that, end grain soaks up more stain. So the end grain, anywhere there's end grain, is going to be darker if you don't if wet you it didn't.
3: first. Oh, I thought you actually may have wanted to do that, but this protects it against
2: yeah. so absorbing you, too much. So you want to wet it anywhere where there's end grain, and that will keep it from absorbing too much stain. Huh. So wet the end grain, then apply your stain. And then what that's going to do is it's going to raise the grain a little bit. So you're going to have to go back after it dries, and you're going to have to go back either with some Scotch-Brite or with some fine sandpaper and smooth it out again. Mm -hmm. But be careful, because anywhere that where there's like a corner, you might go too far and get back down to natural wood, and you're going to end up with bright corners instead of dyed, right?
3: Boy, it's a game of subtlety and Mm -hmm. nuance, ain't it? Oh, yeah.
2: Yeah. Wow. Artistry. So you'll want to do that with a subtle dye two or three times. Huh. Yeah. Wet the end grain. Dye it. Let it dry. Very mild sanding or scotch-brite.
3: Mindful of the corners. Mm -hmm.
2: Then, once again, wet the end grain. Start the whole process again. Then, you can go and put just a slightly amber lacquer over that, and the depth you're going to get is going to be way better. That sounds nice. Mm -hmm. That's great. Yeah, how do you like that? Well, that's a dang good secret. Very good. That does it for this episode of the Fret Files podcast. If you want to participate in the show, make your way over to my website, that's ericdaw.com, and click the contact link. Send in your question or comment there. We'll use it as part of the show. The other way to do it is to call or text 757 774 8482. That's 757 774 8482. Thank you so much, and we will talk to you next time. Bye bye.